0: thank you, Jerry, and it's good to gather together today. In Matthew 13, as we heard read a moment ago, we have the parable of what Jesus calls the parable of the sower. In the context of Matthew 13, we see a host of events have taken place, and they match in a very tremendous way what we see in 2 Peter chapter 2 with the false teachers. So in Matthew 13, in the context, Jesus says, Heal the man. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 12 a- after healing him uh, the, uh, the Pharisees come and, and they conspire against him how to destroy him Jesus to this point the gospel of Matthew has very clearly been identified as the son of man and the son of David and all these different titles as the Christ the Messiah the, the promised king the one who would crush the serpent he truly is the son who's taken on flesh and dwelt among us and all the things that he does uh, the Ones who do not know him, the the Pharisees, they plot in their heart to crush him. And what we see when we come to Matthew chapter thirteen in that text, this parable that is given, the disciples ask him, Why do you speak in these ways? Why do you say things like this? And he says, in leading up to this, in, in thirteen twelve, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, listen, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. But blessed are you, in verse 16 of 13, for they see and you hear. So blessed are your eyes, for for you see and, and you hear with your ears. Those that are presented with Christ, this seed is Jesus is the sower. The world is His. The good news of the Gospel is able to produce this multitude of fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold of new life in a believer and through a believer into the world, this life of fruitfulness. But some will hear and they will not believe. But they'll seem to receive the message for a long enough time to gain credence in the context of the congregations. And what we see in Second Peter chapter 2 is a reflection of the false soils the false teachers they resemble the false soil see when we hear this when when oftentimes anyway when I, when i hear and read through the gospel of matthew and i think of these soils i think of them as a quick occurrence but what we see in second peter is that individuals have come in and heard the gospel message they've heard the truth and they've been welcomed into the local congregations for long enough to gain credence and credibility to be teachers And yet, in that span of time, they've abandoned the gospel. And in their abandoning of the gospel, though, they've not given up their influence in the congregations. And in their sensuality and in their being filled with greed, they prey upon a number of those in the congregations, leading them after themselves in their pride to their own destruction. And when we look at this text, we're going to note today, Both the similarities of these false soils with the false teachers. But we're not just going to stay there. We're going to notice some similarities. We'll we'll, we'll see some attributes, some aspects of the false teachers again. But we don't find ourselves paralyzed in fear of the false teachers. For we fear God. And this text leads us to, with even greater urgency, grow our love and affection for Christ and for His people and to be rooted in joy in His Word. For it is the fruitful way. The reminder of Matthew 13 and the reminder ultimately in 2 Peter chapter 2 today is that we have been blessed with the fruitful way. No matter the way things may seem or appear or feel, that there is a fruitful way in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The good news to be rooted in and to blossom in and to see what the Lord does through us. The good that He does through us, because we've received new life in Christ, in the Son of God. So let's look first, as we note that false teachers resemble the faulty soils of Matthew. False teachers resemble the faulty soils of Matthew. Let's look at the first of those two. In verses 10 through 14, we note that like the seed along the path and the rocky ground, in both of those ways, the false teachers, they, they do not fear God, nor do they long consider His word. And those two are related. In 1 John, we see this being consistently applied. If you love God, then obey Him, He tells us. And so those that don't fear God, they don't long consider His Word. We don't have a, a stopwatch on how that takes place. Again, I, I think in 2 Peter, we have evidence that it lasts maybe a little longer than what we would presume. But like the seed along the path and the rocky ground, they don't fear God, nor do they long consider His word. Now we note that in chapter two follows chapter one. That's how math works. Chapter two is after chapter one. And and let's take a moment to look back to chapter one. Let's remind ourselves in 2 Peter what have we learned thus far? We've learned that believers, we've received an inheritance, we've received a salvation equal to that of the apostles. We received the Lord has 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 given us by these divine qualities to grow in godliness. We've seen that we're to make every effort and we can grow in fruitfulness. He tells us in chapter 1, verse 5. So we're able, we've been brought to newness of life. We have the righteousness of Christ clothing us. And we're able to grow in fruitfulness. And now we see the false teachers who can produce a lot of things, but they cannot produce fruitfulness. Nor do they long to produce fruitfulness. It's a counterfeit. He calls it later a mist A waterless spring. And in this way, they're unfruitful and they don't love God and they don't fear God. How do we know that? What's he say about it? He says that they despise authority. Bold and willful in verse 10. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious one. Now in chapter 12 leading up to chapter 13 in Matthew, we saw the, the, the text on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now we see the false teachers resembling this and that they blaspheme. They themselves are blasphemers. They in their pride think that they're amazing. They're their biggest fans. And they're such big fans that he describes them here as this example of Michael the archangel that, that the book of Jude gives us. Again, Jude the sister book to 2 Peter. And in that text, we're told that there's this interaction between Michael the archangel and Satan. And this interaction takes place, but Michael the archangel, he doesn't, even though he's an angel, he doesn't rely upon his own authority and his own status. But instead, he says, the Lord rebuke you. But the false teachers are known in that they themselves rebuke angels. It doesn't tell us if these are fallen angels, so if these are demons or or if these are angels. It just says they're greater but the false teachers are so self-deceived that they think by their own authority they can rebuke them. What's that show us? It shows us that they are their own highest authority. They can think of no greater name to, to call upon. It'd be like, man, the, 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 the sadness of a person that, that's highest authority that they look to is the government. And then the government must be the one to make all things right because it's the highest authority that they could ever dream of or know. Because they don't know the God who made them and cares for them. And sustains their every breath. That's what we see with the false teachers. They are their biggest fans. They are the greatest authorities that they know. So they they call on their own authorities. They think they're incredible. But in reality, how are they described before God? Do you remember the description of King Saul? Saul? Remember King Saul when the Holy Spirit, not, not talking in a regeneration sense, but we see the Holy Spirit. He comes on people and He, and he leaves people in different ways. The Old Testament, different than that we see with the New Testament. So just as Pastor Roman prayed at the beginning of our service, the Holy Spirit who's come upon us as believers. He doesn't leave us as believers. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit, He indwells us. But in the Old Testament, we see for the King of Israel, this, this high intercessor for the land. King Saul in his hardness against God. The Holy Spirit leaves King Saul. It's going to come upon David to lead Israel, God's chosen nation. And what happens to David? He becomes just like this description. He becomes like an irrational animal, a creature of instinct, rather than the king of the people of God. And that's how the false teachers are described. They think they're incredible, but in reality, they are as instinctual animals. Irrational and reactive. So in this, we would say, may we never underestimate the reality of depravity. May we never underestimate the dangers of pure humanism. What man can achieve and man can do, but believing that they're their own greatest authority, the wickedness that they can do, but then putting a beautiful bow on top of it and celebrating And as believers in Christ, by God's grace, the veil has been pulled back and we see the kindness and we see the reality of truth and the sanctity of life and the way of life. And it burdens us when you have family members and we have friends that that are enslaved to the ways of the world. And they celebrate the ways of the unbelieving world. And we see the depravity of that. And it breaks us and it crushes us. And it can lead us to say, God, are are you going to intervene in this? And yet it's in those moments when we trust that God is faithful and we obey Him regardless. We worship Him regardless. We give our life to Him and obey Him regardless. One of the more healthy habits I've established is the last several years uh, I've, in the uh, very beginning of the year, I've made it a habit uh, to read uh, the screw tape letters. One of C.S. Lewis is just a, a neat writing. You can read it. It's not very long at all. So that's not a humble brag. It's not very long at all. Okay, So, so the Screwtape Letters, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a true book, but it's, it's a fiction book, but there's just a lot of incredible interactions. So we have in this, we have uh, Uncle Screwtape, this, this senior demon who writes to Wormwood. This, so he's a retired demon, and he writes to Wormwood, this young rookie demon on the beat. And they go back and forth in interactions, and you're able to read them. And in chapter 8, towards the very end of it, uh, Screwtape gives this Warning to Wormwood, who's getting pretty excited because he sees, it seems, the hopelessness of the one he's assigned to. Let me read it for you. He says, Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but intending to do our enemy's will, he looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, and asks, Why he has been forsaken and yet still obeys. Beloved, no matter how the world looks, we trust and obey our King. He's faithful and always working. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And that's what we see in this context, in this scene. The false teachers oppose with passion. Like the rocky ground, they do not fear God the way of this world chokes out the seed that brings a bountiful fruit full harvest what's the distinction we see between the false teachers and true mature disciples here's the d- distinction that when who are the ones that they pray upon let me say that first he says in verse 14 look what he says look at who the false teachers that still somehow are close enough or they've they've bounced back into the congregational fellowship to some way Look who they prey upon. He says in verse 14, they entice unsteady souls. The unbelieving, these false teachers, they know the language well enough. They look at the congregations and they prey upon those that are new to the faith and those that are in hand-to-hand combat with temptation. Those that are getting tired of fighting the flesh. The false teachers look and they see an opportunity. And they prey upon them and try to get them to leave and to follow after them. Because the false teachers lead themselves. And anyone that will follow after them, they prey upon them. What does a mature believer, what does a mature disciple maker do? They, They see those that are new to the faith or those that are Locked in, in, in just exhaustive battle with temptation. And they pursue them to walk with them in those eight virtues that we saw in verse 5 of chapter 1. It helps them to make every effort to grow in, the, in their faith and, and knowledge of the Lord. To grow in godliness and steadfastness. That's right. To grow in endurance. To grow in brotherly love and brotherly affection and, 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 and the love of God because they love them and they care for them. The call, the purpose of making disciples, making followers of Jesus, and the very danger of the false teachers who long to make followers of themselves so that they can prey upon them. This is the distinction that we see happening thus far. So they resemble in this way the, the path and in the, in the rocky soil. But additionally, as we look in verses 14 and 16, we note that like the thorny soil then, so we've seen the, the rocky soil, we've seen the the seed that lands along the path. And now, like the thorny soil, the false teachers choose to nurture the deceitfulness of riches over submissiveness to Christ. Like the thorny soil, they they, they choose to nurture the deceitfulness of riches over submission to Christ. And Jesus told us that the seed that lands among the thorny soil, that is, those who forsake the Gospel message as the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of what? Of riches, it chokes it out. How here does Peter refer to the false teachers? They have hearts trained in greed. See the similarities to the soils again. Our hearts are trained in greed. Now greed is a dangerous word. It's dangerous. When we hear greed, we can just look at our culture. Look what our culture does when it hears the word greed. It immediately looks at an income level. It immediately looks at, it, at at something objective that we could look by judging on the outward. Just as Scripture warns, man judges by the outward; God looks at the heart. Amen. And what we see is the reality. If we look and say at some income level or some certain percentage of wealth, that person then is greedy. That's what we instinctually want to do. This is dangerous because greed can can show itself on a ten year old that gets dropped off at the water park that has a couple dollars, ten dollars, that, that child can have a greed just consuming their heart. Amen. And the, the businesswoman or person that owns the water park may not. It, greed is this insatiable desire for more. It's never enough. Paul warns Timothy about this. Do not put your trust in wealth. Jesus warned not to store up treasures for ourselves on the earth. Ecclesiastes this is my small group I'm a part of is working through Ecclesiastes in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 he tells us Solomon tells us he who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income this is also vanity so what do we say in our hearts in this way first things first first things first Or we could say, what are the chief stones of our life that everything bounces across? We've seen in 1 Peter that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. that all things must bounce against that foundation. And the parts of our lives that don't, they stumble off, just as those who don't know Christ. They stumble against the chief cornerstone of Christ. It becomes a stumbling block to them. They want the throne that is Christ. They want what He has earned. This is a warning for the believers to listen and to be aware of the dangers of greed and to look at the motivation, the desires of these false teachers, to look what leads them and and gives them joy and passion. It's greed that fills their heart. False teachers have hearts not trained in Christ-likeness, but trained in greed. You can write this down. We're not going to read this text, but write down Numbers 22. You probably have a footnote in your Bible that gives you that reference. If you do, you can highlight it, but Numbers 22. The specific example that the false teachers are given is that of the way of Balaam. They follow the way of Balaam. Balaam's a fascinating story. If you're not familiar with it, I'll try to summarize it very quickly. Balaam is a unique character because he's, he's called not a false prophet. Balaam is not a false prophet. He's a wicked prophet. See, he's not false prophet because there's tons of false, there's like thousands of false prophets in the Old Testament. Many of them coming to Israel. We see in, in several different examples so during uh, King Ahab in Jezebel's time. We see false prophets, these false prophets that come. And same, likewise, during Jeremiah's time. These false prophets come and they raise up and they pretend to hear from God and they usually tell the people, It's okay. God's going to care for us. We don't need to repent. They're, They're telling the people what they want to hear rather than what God's telling them. They're false prophets. They don't really hear from God. But Balaam is not one of those. He is a true prophet in that he really is hearing from God. God is really speaking to the people through Balaam. The problem is that Balaam is being led by greed. And so here's what's happening. God is blessing Israel and Israel's expanding and they're coming and they're exceeding out and they're encroaching on the Moabites. And the king of the Moabites, King Balak, he sees the nation of Israel coming and encroaching upon them. And so he seeks out Balaam, the prophet of God. And he tries to get Balaam. He says, listen, I'm going to give you just just massive amounts of wealth if you will curse the people of Israel because their God is the true God and he can't handle it because he knows he's got no chance so he seeks Balaam and he offers them basically a as the lamest statement you'll ever hear a prophet for profit yes and he offers him this and he tries to persuade him to curse Israel rather than bless them but of course the prophet doesn't have the authority even any more than a cell phone does to make a call for us and so God, in, in great humor, through Balaam, blesses Israel again and again. And, and, and it, leads, it just leads this incredible interaction that goes back and forth. But still, Balaam, he's pursued in a love of money and greed. And he goes back again this one last time. And he's riding on his donkey and he comes through and he's so blinded he doesn't see the reality. He has no fear of God, even though he's a prophet of God. But his donkey sees... His donkey has a clearer fear of God than he does. And he's coming along this line and and, and the, the donkey sees that there is an angel that's going to strike him dead if he keeps walking. So the donkey very rationally, rationally stops. And Balaam gets angry at the donkey and he beats the donkey. And God opens the mouth of the donkey to speak. Why are you beating me? Because he's so blind. The prophet of God, it's a sign of judgment upon Israel. The prophet of God is so blinded that even a donkey has more spiritual wisdom and rationale than the prophet of Israel. This is what we see in the reality of our lives. That God in His kindness, even surrounded by wicked or false teachers, He can bless the people of God even in spite of the presence of the wicked. That's an application for us today. When we see brokenness and heartache, not only in churches, but all around the world. It's not that God has forgotten. It's not that God doesn't care. It's that God is faithful and can still bless in spite of them in great ways, counter to what they may perhaps in their own desires even want. So, What's an application for us? Be discerning. Test the teachings. Ask your pastors. Be in close enough community that you can likewise hold one another accountable. I'm going to ask you in a little bit And our next step question is going to be this. When you think about Balaam or you think about the donkey, which of those gives you more stress? To be the one that has to point out sin in someone's life that they're blind to or to be the one that's being exposed of sin that you've been blindly walking in. And a commonality of application we see in this before we move forward is if I'm close enough to the family of God, I'll be courageous enough to help expose a blind spot when the Lord shows that to us, right? And we see that in community. We don't see that if we don't see each other at all, right? And likewise, if I've got a blind spot or I'm walking in sin or my heart's becoming calloused in this area and the Lord shows that to to one of you, to one of my church family, that you'll be courageous enough to show that to me, but I'll also be tender enough of a heart to receive it with joy. The wounds of a brother will be beautiful. I'll be grateful for them. So we pray, Lord, lean in and help us to grow in this way. The false teachers resemble the faulty soils. And second, as we look at verses 17-22, through though we are aware of the schemes of false teachers, we do not fear them. We're aware of their schemes. We're even aware of how they symbolically represent the three false soils of Matthew 13. But it doesn't plunge us into paralysis by analysis or fear. Instead, it leads us to urgency to to grow our affections for Christ, to grow our affections for the bride of Christ, and to be anchored and rooted in the Spirit breathed word. In short, we could say it leads us to, to long to be busy making disciples of Jesus Christ. There's no better way, there's no better aim. So we know first, let's look at one of the schemes. We're aware of the schemes. So, what is one of the common schemes? Verse 17 through 19 of the false teachers. They speak with an attractive confidence as they promise what they cannot deliver. False teachers, through all generations, whether it was 2,000 years ago, whether it was 4,000 years ago, or whether it's today, whether it's speaking in Arabic or in English, False teachers have this commonality. They speak with an incredible confidence, an attractive confidence, as they promise things that they truly cannot deliver upon. We know that that any teacher apart from God's Word and the hope and truth of the Gospel, we know that, right? We know that there is no true way of life outside of the true Gospel, Repentance and faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for forgiveness of sins. We know that He's the one that defeated death. He is our value and our identity. The one we rest in. The one that we that that He works through us. He makes our lives a good work that flows good works. That's the kindness of our God. And what does Peter say of the false teachers in verse seventeen? They are what? They are a waterless spring. They are mists. Driven by a storm. Now I want you to imagine for a moment that we live in a desert climate. And right now with this weather, that's a good thought to take on, right? Just imagine a desert climate. And we'll just stay there for like 15 minutes and enjoy that thought. Imagine that we're in a desert climate and we have not had water for many days. And off in the distance, we see this dark cloud. Everything else is incredibly clear, but here over here is this incredibly dark cloud. Thunder begins to rattle within it, and lightning. We can hear it. And then this big gust of wind comes our way in this mist. Just hits our skin. We're so thirsty. and The cloud comes closer and closer, but no rain comes from the cloud. Just the front of mist. That's what false teachers are. We know they can't deliver. They're waterless springs. They're a mist moved at the front of a storm. And so in our lives, we want to pray, Lord, would you help us? Holy Spirit, make us aware of the times in our lives, in my life, when I am most thirsty. Show me the season, show me the moment, show me the time of even the week and the time of the day when I find myself most thirsty. We've spoken about this before when we went through our Psalm 119 series. The very beginning, we walked through Matthew chapter 4. And we saw that, that example, this acronym, not original to me, but HALTS, H-A-L-T-S. It's a great reminder of this, because yeah, I think it's, it's a commonality of each of us as human beings. When we find ourselves in seasons, H stands for hungry. When you find yourself very hungry, it impacts physical beings, it impacts the rest of ourselves. So when we're hungry, we can find ourselves being unstable, not quite of a right mind. So how are we eating? What are we taking in? A stands for angry. We find ourselves just just angry. Now, we think of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, tempted the wilderness. He was certainly hungry. It says that. He was angry. He was righteously angry at what Satan was doing and tempting Him. He was angry. But we perhaps, in seasons of our life, find ourselves righteously angry, yes, praise God, but also selfishly angry, just for things that didn't work out the way that we longed for them to work out. So when we're righteously angry or selfishly angry, selfishly angry in particular, we want to be aware of that because we can find ourselves thirsty, more vulnerable to the mist. L stands for lonely. I mean, COVID has really stressed that, hasn't it? The, The distance and being alone or emotionally alone. Very lonely, bored. We find ourselves in seasons of boredom and therein other things look more and more attractive to us. We find ourselves being tired. Jesus was alone. The Holy Spirit led Him into the wilderness alone. Tired. We're not sleeping well. Stressed. Halts. Stressed. We're just horrified about the future. We're stressed. In those seasons, it's so very vital that we're aware that Moments of boredom often prove ways of curiosity. And curiosity is usually when we start looking for those clouds. Rather than anchoring down in the Spirit-breathed Word. So, we, we pray and we ask God to, to, to make us never be tired of making every effort. That chapter 1, verse 5. Lord, help me to never be tired of making every effort to supplement my faith with, with knowledge. And all the rest of the virtues. Help me never to be tired to provide provision for the flesh in this way. Because what do these do? How do they speak in verse 18? How are they described? They speak loud boasts. They are, by default, made for social media. The attraction and the boastfulness, the excitement... And the glamour, they are made for it. And there is something about that that captures our attention. And it works for the enemy 2,000 years ago. Now what I want to do for us is these false teachers find themselves being so polished and so confident and so skilled at gaining attention that even stable ones find their eyes beginning to, to linger and to look. So what I want to do right now is I want you to look over to Proverbs chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, you can look at the Pewback Bible. That's page 531. I want to read together Proverbs chapter 7. It's uh, the men's huddle that I'm a part of. We we're working through the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs 7 is one we just had to camp out on and slow down on. And what we're going to note, just as we've already noted similarities in Matthew 13 to 2 Peter chapter 2, what we're going to note now is Proverbs chapter 7. Here's homework as we read through it together. It's not homework, it's... Here work, okay we 're doing it right now, in Matthew chapter in Proverbs chapter seven, as we look, I want you to underline any similarities to what we just read describing the false teachers so far. Just let them jump out to you. if you see similarities of the adulterous woman compared to the false teachers there's several of them. and what I want to pray as we work through this. we want to pray the Holy Spirit to convict us each appropriately and, and to expose those areas where we find ourselves Wandering where we are not made to. Ways that do not lead to the way of life and the way of our Lord. So let's look at these similarities between the false teachers and the adulterous woman of Proverbs 7. Here we go. Listen to this. This wisdom from Solomon for his sons. He says, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingertips, write them on the tablet of your heart, say to wisdom, You are my sister, and, and call insight your, your intimate friend. So they're growing in their affection for the way and word of the Lord. Similarity. Verse five. To keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house I have looked out through the my lattice. And I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Who did the false teacher's target? The vulnerable. What is this man doing? He's young. He's lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. In the twilight in the evening at the time of night and darkness, there's momentum building. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily at heart, She is loud and wayward. How did verse 18 of chapter 2 describe the false teachers? Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes Him and kisses Him. And with bold face she says to Him, 'I I have to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows, so now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. The mists of the water are hitting his face, aren't they? Everything is, seems to be satisfying. Verse 16, she says, I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us make our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him at full moon. He will come home. Sensuality and secrecy, right? The description of the false teachers we saw last week. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth tongue, she compels him. But all at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his own life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many, it sounds like Second 2 Peter 2.2, 2, for many a victim she has laid low. and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way of Sheol, the way of the dead, going down to the chambers of death. So many similarities. We see that the many will follow each of them. We saw that they target the weak, Second 2 Peter 2:18 2, with Proverbs 7-7. We saw that, that, that the adulterous woman, like the false teachers, are loud and confident and seductive. Second 2 Peter 2:18 2, with Proverbs 7:11. And, and but their ways, ultimately, though popular, lead where? They lead to death. He called them, in Second Peter, he calls them, they're, they're children of condemnation." And so we say, God, give us courage to confess, confess our sin. Give us courage to confess our sin. And give us the wisdom to walk in community together forward. What the adulteress does is what the false teachers do they offer a way of satisfaction in life that we know is not satisfying. We know. And the danger of hiding then in the shame and in the sin. The fear then of coming out into the light. But we know, beloved, don't we, that the way of light is the way of life. Confession is the way of life. And yet, secrecy is what the adulterous woman and the false teacher offer as they lead them off and lead them astray. We note then, finally, that false teachers, as with sin, this is a quote by Ravi Zacharias, will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. An appropriate text for recently, if you've been paying attention to the headlines. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But Matthew 12, 45 This is the interaction just before Jesus gave the parable of the sower. He speaks of having a a demon cast out of a person. He casts a demon out of a person, and then seven come in. He speaks of it being worse. It's worse for him if if that person doesn't get filled, right? Filled with the Spirit, filled with the Lord in the meantime of that, because it becomes even worse for them. That's what 2 Peter pretty well quotes here, what, what Peter's quoting For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Again, for it would be better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says in this beautiful image, right? The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. This is, at the very least, speaking of the false teachers, perhaps more so, but at the very least, speaking of the false teachers, and the false teachers seem to come back well enough to gain again a larger foothold in the congregations and with them. They're on the fringes, they're known by many, and yet never completely leave. They leave, but they somehow come back just a little bit enough to gain more off with them. So they've not left entirely, they're close enough that they want to keep praying on the herd. Dangerous. Uh, This as believers, again, it should not scare us, but it should indeed make us sober to nurture our affections for Christ. To take seriously the way and the things of God, that these leaders are gifted enough that they have enough charisma and enough talent and enough knowledge that they keep pulling many with them to follow after them. These false ways. This quote uh, I heard when I was in college from a debate or a lesson that Ravi Zacharias did. I have quoted this hundreds of times probably. The reality of what does sin do? It takes us further than we want to go. Like a dog returning to its vomit. It keeps us longer than we want to stay. And it costs more than we ever want to pay. I will. That quote for me is, is... For all of us, I think, when we think of the reality, I don't know if that was originated with him, but I know that he quoted it. And since then, if you've looked at the news, that Ravi died less than 10 months ago in May 2020. Since he has died... A ton of news has come out. Numerous cases, numerous allegations about not only adulterous relationships, but relationships of abuse toward women that he has had all over the world as he's traveled around taking advantage of woman after woman. And RZIM, his ministry, Ravi Zacharias International Ministry, has come out and admitted and said, listen, we've done our own independent investigation and it's worse than we even thought. He was clearly not the man that was portrayed publicly or privately to us. And you can read the statement on the website and the report just actually came out this week. I tended to give this quote, this ending, well before this week ever even occurred. But Robbie Zacharias in this way, he was a wolf. He knew the Scriptures so very well. He was unbelievably respected where he went. He knew his incredible knowledge. And yet, like a wolf, he preyed upon women all over the world. 74 years old. And it leads us in our life and in our hearts to say, God, show us our sin. The warning of James 3 couldn't be more appropriate. That Not many should consider that to be of teachers, for they will be held of greater judgment, and Ravi will give an account before God. The humbling component of this text is the same humbling component that I think would come across in the first century world as they would think about the false teachers and the heartache of many that had followed after them. A pit in their stomach. A sickening feeling in their stomach of what was taking place. And yet a reminder that God is good and faithful. That He will make all things right. And for the believer to set their affections and hope upon Christ that we look up to the throne of God when we look down and we treasure close the Word of God. The false teachers ultimately disregarded the teaching of the apostles that were alive at the time before they were martyred. And the Word that they gave, ultimately they wanted to do it their own way. and They experienced the fruitlessness of such living. But the good news that we have in Christ is that just when we think of all those vulnerabilities that we have, when we are hungry, when we are angry, when we are lonely, when we are tired, when we are stressed, we think of all of our shortcomings and all of our sin, we realize that by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, His righteousness, the one that was tempted in every way, yet was without sin, has been accredited to us. That in Christ we are holy, and we are called to give our life to be and to make disciples, faithfully casting this seed everywhere. And some seed will land on some... Perhaps many places of those who will not believe. Or some that will seem to believe, but in reality they will discard and be choked out by the things of this world. But some seed will land upon by God's grace good soil. And it will produce life change of unbelievable multitudes. And through them come wellsprings of life in Revelation chapter 22, we see this river that flows from the throne of God. This crystal river that gives life and goes wherever it goes. And in John chapter 7, Jesus told us that those who believe from out of them, from out of their hearts, become this wellspring of life wherever they go. And beloved, that's us. In the season, when we look at depravity, or we look at unbelievable heartache situations like, like Ravi Zacharias. And we say, this is so crushing... The beloved, we are deployed intentionally to stay focused on the task at hand, to love the Lord and to worship the Lord and to make disciples where He is us. For He is working. The Spirit is working. And the Word is working. So don't get tired. Be busy doing the work He has prepared for us. Amen? Amen. Let's look at our next steps together. Three next steps. Number one, it was a question I asked you earlier. Does being shown your sin like Balaam or having to show someone their sin like Balaam's donkey bring you more stress? And and so I want you to discuss this today. I want you to discuss this today with someone. Which of those brings you more stress? It may be strange to phrase it as I can really relate to Balaam's donkey. I can really relate to him. Great guy. But which of those gives you more stress? And use it as a challenge to say, you know what, regardless of whichever one the Lord has for me in 2021 to walk in, whether it's by God's grace showing another person their sin and love, or God may bring somebody in my life to, to expose sin in my life, to till up a soil of fruitfulness and greater affection for the Lord to prune my life. We know that requires leaning into community. Being connected together. So, so get involved. Spend time together. Be hospitable together. Serve together. Spend time in in, in groups devoted to the Word together. Get involved. Number two, what lure are you currently most vulnerable to pursuing in this season of life? I've I've listed a few. Lust, could it be pride, could it be greed, self-sufficiency, could it be boredom? Personality or, or popularity? And so repent and confess that to God. We had a time of general confession earlier in our service. But have you ever... Is there sin? In your, let me say it this way. Is there sin in your life that right now terrifies you if somebody would find out about it? Is there sin in your life that terrifies you right now if it was to come to light? And would you trust that God's way and word is better? And would you confess it to the Lord now as we stand in response for worship in just a moment? And then would you... Confess it to another brother or sister in Christ. So if you're uh, you know, married, certainly as a spouse context, but if you're a, a, a man, confess it to another brother who loves the Lord Jesus Christ. Have accountability. Walk in repentance and walk in the way of life. Today, this moment, bring it into the light in repentance. Changing of heart through changing of our lives. Trust that the light is good And finally, reflect upon how God has been tilling up the soil of your life to build your affections for Him. So so thank Him during this song of response. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like the Lord our God? Faithful in love. Who is like Him? This is the good song that we sing together. Who is like our God? His is the way of life. His is a true fountain. And all of us who know Christ have come from Misty clouds. Empty springs. But by God's grace, we know eternal life and we know Jesus. And so we can sing praises to Him with joy in our hearts. With purity that we've been clothed in His righteousness. That we have the words of eternal life and we can share them with others. And we're called to share them with others joyfully and faithfully until the Lord should call us home. Amen? So let's stand together as we sing in response now in this time.